The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We are recording this episode on April 11th, 2021, and I'm joined today by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hey, Adam. How's it going, Dave? I'm doing okay. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a pretty wild couple of weeks. <laughs> I think everything in Alberta politics has happened since our last episode two weeks ago. So yeah, we got a lot of we got a lot of ground to cover today. We do. It's and and as we're recording this, the uh, there's some shenanigans happening at the Grace Life Church in Alberta or just outside of Edmonton here. So uh, it never ends. Yes, I think every fringe conservative politician from Ontario has flown out to uh to Stony Plain this week so this weekend so they can get their YouTube video and and Instagram live of um you know fighting injustice in tyrannical Alberta or something like that. Are they supposed to be doing that? Like aren't they supposed to stay in Ontario right now and not travel to Alberta? Well, I think it's like discouraged. I mean, you can still get out you can still buy a plane ticket to Toronto. Like that's not there's nothing there's no rules against that. I think it's like strong it's discouraged. I don't think that the provinces are encouraging people to come, you know, travel across the country. But I mean, flight domestic flights have still continued. But for an issue as important as this one, I guess. Oh, right? no, no, no. Yeah, no, no. This is all about. Yeah, no, this is the uh, this is these are just. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been wild. And we recorded our last episode two weeks ago with Andrew Leach. And that seems like a quaint time now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's a, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was a big week in Alberta politics. Um, we had 18 UCP MLAs rebelling against Premier Jason Kenney, calling for increased public health measures to, you know, improve safety for Albertans and help Albertans get through the pandemic and um, help our healthcare system uh, get a handle on the third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. We had um, the uh, Martin Long, the parliamentary secretary for small business, uh, agreeing that there should be increased health measures to provide safety for Albertans and, 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 uh, and safety for public health workers and healthcare workers. And, and at the same time, he called for, um, you know, increased supports to help small business get through this because we all know it's hard for small business, but we know it's something that, you know, we, we all have to do and we all have to make our own sacrifices to get through the pandemic. So, you know, it was really great to see these 18, um, UCP MLAs, you know, uh, uh, look at, look at scientific analysis and turn to science and say, you know what, um, we're going to put politics aside and we're going to do what's safe for Albertans and what's the best for Albertans. And what the, what that is right now is it's, it's listening to listening to healthcare professionals. It's listening to doctors and listening to sciences. You know, it's, it's really heartening to see that there was a real turn there in the UCP caucus this week. It's um, I think Albertans can be really, really proud of them about that. Yeah. Dave, I, I wish I lived in the same fantasy world as you. That sounds Wait, like, what? What? that sounds like, well, no. So exactly the opposite of what you said is happening. Oh, I yeah, misread I know. that. Oh, I know. okay. Well, you, you're you're only half listening to the news, right? I guess Obviously. so. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the opposite happened. It was 18 UCP MLAs <laughs> did rebel against Jason Kenney because they think the, and I'm going to use air quotes that no one can see. They think the quote lockdown um, restrictions imposed, reimposed by the premier are too much in the face of exponential rises in variant cases of the, of COVID-19. So and, and, what? And, and, sorry, yeah, and of course ahead. it's it's not actually a lockdown. No, I not mean, at all. It's it's uh you you know kids are still going to school. I you know I walked to my local coffee shop, bought a coffee, bought a bagel. I mean I can't sit down and eat inside, but I wasn't doing that anyway. Um, you know patios are still open. I was downtown the other day, and and the patio at Sherlock Holmes was packed. Um, mm-hmm. you know there are lots of people out enjoying the uh the outside. Um, you can you can go get a massage. Uh, if you if you're you know so inclined. Uh, I mean grocery stores are still open. Uh, you can exercise with a personal trainer, um, hmm. you know, so it's, you know, it's as, as far as lockdowns go, I mean, it's, uh, it's not really a lockdown at all, actually. Yeah. Especially when you think of like jurisdictions like Australia and New Zealand, when they imposed lockdowns, there were curfews and you couldn't go more than five kilometers away from your home. Yeah. So this is, uh, th- let's talk about it because it was last, I think it was Tuesday that mm-hmm. Jason Kenney held a press conference. Uh, talking about with these the rise in variants. And this was after, by the way, effective radio silence from the provincial government over the Easter long weekend. Um, Let's talk about that. Like 
the, it was clear on the Thursday before Good Friday that things were not going very well. Why do you think the premier waited over the weekend to address Albertans and impose these new so-called restrictions? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's it was a very bizarre long weekend. If you're if you're following what was happening with COVID nineteen, I mean, you saw cases and and variant cases spike essentially starting on Thursday. Uh, and then over the course of the weekend, uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, the chief medical officer of health, her Twitter account was releasing uh, updates every day about like the number of new cases, the number of percentage of variants. But then they were saying they weren't telling you how what, what the rates of hospitalization were. It was just like they think that the the tweet said hospitalizations remain stable. What you know, whatever that means. Um, uh, because nothing else was nothing else was remaining stable, so it was it was hard to uh, hard to figure out what exactly that meant. And then there was the the question of where the variants were coming from. I mean, it seemed that different news agencies, news companies, were getting different uh, different information from the government from different sources in the government. Some saying that the variant came from someone who traveled outside the country. Some saying the variant came from British Columbia, from Whistler. There was a big outbreak in Whistler. I think the entire Vancouver Canucks hockey team was infected. Just about, um, yeah. Just about, yeah. So um, there was uh, uh, confusion around around that. And then they didn't hold a press card. Then they initially, then they said, I think it was on Saturday or Sunday, they said, well, we'll hold a press conference. We'll be holding a press conference on Monday. Uh, and then on Monday, they said, no, 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 we're actually holding a press conference on Tuesday at 3.30. And then at like noon, they said, no, 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 it's actually going to be held at 4.30. And then, of course, because Premier Jason Kenney was part of the press conference, it didn't actually start till 4.45. Yeah. Um, and anybody, anybody who's followed the past 16 or 13 months will know that Premier Kenney is not uh, uh, not on time basically at all when he <laughs> when he's involved in a press conference you can usually add 15 or 20 minutes and that's where that's when they'll that's when they'll be and that's kind of a uh, an ongoing thing um so there was like little communication over the weekend and i mean there's you know there's there's a lot of talk about why that was i mean premier kenny's a very religious person he was obviously celebrating easter over the weekend and you know whatever way he celebrated whether he went with, met with family or his friends i'm not sure i don't know we don't really know anything about how he how he celebrates. You know, he doesn't not not, not like other politicians where he shares stuff on shares stuff online, shares photos. Um, but I, I assume he was celebrating um, Easter. Um, I mean, maybe he didn't want to maybe he didn't want to interrupt his Easter celebration to hold a you know an hour long press conference, or maybe he want. I mean, but I think what it was is they wanted to wait till after the long weekend in order to to make these types of of announcements. Um, and then so when he finally made the announcement, it was like a huge portion of premier Kenny's lecture on Tuesday evening, almost Tuesday, late Tuesday afternoon was, was aimed very clearly at his caucus. It was claimed at caucus man, MLA management. And there's been dissent in his caught in the UCP caucus for some time. I mean, Drew Barnes, the MLA for Cypress medicine hat has been out, uh, talking, uh, uh, protesting restrictions, criticizing the, the public, the mild public health restrictions for, for months. So has Angela Pitt, the MLA for Airdrie East, um, but we always knew there were more critics in the caucus and there were some that would pop up. I mean, Jason, Ste Jason Stefan from Red Deer would say something, Nathan Newdorf, I think Nathan Newdorf from Leth Lethbridge criticized the mask, mandatory mask mandates at one point. So there were UCP MLAs who would speak up, but there hadn't been like a big revolt, which is what we ended up seeing after the press conference, the day after the press conference. Mm -hmm. From a total of 18, I know D Dave, uh, we, we, he and I were texting, um, while this was happening, he desperately wanted to, it to get to 19 so he could call oh. it COVID-19. That, that's the magic number, but the 19th one hasn't come public yet. I'm sure there's not, I'm sure there's more than, more than 18. So what happened was on Wednesday morning, um, uh, I think it was, it was Wednesday or Thursday morning. I'm trying to get it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Yeah. They, um, a letter was tweeted out, I think initially from Drew Barnes, who's the kind of the ringleader of, of this, uh, and, uh, it was a letter signed by 15 UCP MLAs, uh, mostly rural ML, mostly what, what would be considered all, all rural, rural MLAs? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there was an MLA I mean, from like Grand Prairie, sure. Airdrie, I mean, Red Deer, those aren't, but neither are, of the, neither of the major cities. Yeah. Neither of the two major cities. Right. So, um, but, but a lot of those MLAs were from what would be considered rural areas. So that was released. And this, this letter had, um, criticism of. Calling on, well, it was calling on the government um, to not roll back the the public health restrictions. Um, calling for a regional approach, basically criticizing Premier Kenny for taking mild, um, uh, moving towards mi more mild or mild restrictions on um, 
on the Tuesday, on Tuesday in response to the, the huge third, third wave of, uh, of COVID-19 in Alberta. So they were, those 15 were soon joined by two other MLAs, um, Garth, pardon me, Garth Rosewell from Vermilion Lloyd Minster Wainwright. And then, um, uh, oh, and then, and then Martin Long, who's the MLA for West Yellowhead and the parliamentary secretary for small business. Um, he didn't, signed the letter, but he essentially endorsed it in, in a Facebook mm. post. So that's where you get up to 17. And then 18 was Dan Williams, who's the MLA for Peace River. And he never signed, I don't believe he ever signed on to the letter, but he's put out a video on Facebook where he, you know, a video of him standing in front of the legislature, presumably being recorded by one of his staffers, where he says he's not speaking as an MLA, um, but he was speaking out against the closure of Grace Life Church. I don't know how that, I mean, maybe he turned off the part of his brain that was an MLA um, where he keeps <laughs> definitely, that, but, definitely. Uh, but like, I don't know how that's possibly interpreted any other way. Especially uh, like you're recording it. I'm speaking as a citizen, not an MLA in front of the place I work. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not just like a generic office building. This is the legislature. It's, you know, there's only one of those in Alberta. Why would he do it that way, Dave? Why, what's the, what's the value? Like, is it, is it, like trying to protect his position or not completely embarrass the premier. Like why well, I, say I'm speaking as a citizen, not an MLA. I mean, Dan Williams is a Kenny loyalist. He worked for premier Kenny in Ottawa. He basically moved back to Alberta. I mean, I assume with the idea of running in running in the next elect running in the 2019 election, like a number of UCP MLAs did. Um, uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, I think it's a way of trying to, you know, speak on behalf of, of, a of, a fringe constituency uh while uh trying to you know trying to protect himself from uh uh you know be, basically basically giving himself the ability to claim he wasn't you know wasn't criticizing the premier in in, in that way but i mean it absolutely is a, you know I, i've read a lot of like commentary on twitter from people who are talking about you know jason kenny playing like 3d chess this is all <laughs> this is all part of jason kenny's plan uh you know is is orchestrate a orchestrate a rebellion and then somehow that will that will save his political career i don't think when you're weak and i mean jason kenny is a i mean i'm talking about public opinion wise i don't think when when you're when you're weak in the polls and you know uh you know seven out of the last eight polls have your party behind the ndp in alberta and your public approval ratings have dropped by like 40 percent over the past uh over the past 13 months i don't think you orchestrate a rebellion that makes you look weaker um, yeah. like that's, I, I don't, so I don't, I don't buy that. This isn't, you know, this is, uh, this is a real problem. And I mean, these MLAs are, and it, it's, you know, I, I'm, are you, are you saying Dave that at best, this is 3d checkers? <laughs> Even the, do they play 3d checkers on? Star I have no idea. No. 3D amazing, actually, yeah. I was trying to think what was that game in that episode? It was stratagemma. Remember? Oh, with the we're talking about early, yeah, we're talking about early Star Trek: The Next Generation, where they had like the finger, uh, the you know when you'd go for like a, whatever an EEG or whatever, and they put the things on your finger, the the not EEG but like a blood temp, blood pressure. Yeah, and uh, you're like your oxygen saturation levels. Yeah, yeah, and and what was the so the so so he, he played it against a guy named a, a Zach Dornian named Colrami. Uh, okay, and, and a, he was like was the grand master, master of, yeah. of okay, and it was and. and and what Data discovered or realized by the end, because it was it was shocking when Data was defeated. He played this guy. They were sitting in 10 forward and he played him. And then he this guy beat Data, which was shocking. And then Data figured out that he didn't need to beat the guy. He just needed to stop him from winning. Wasn't that the kind of the thing at the end? Do you think that's what Jason Kenny is doing with these 18? Is that the kind of game he's playing? He's just no. stopping them from winning? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Well, hang on. I, I want to talk about this because, you know, he really did chamber this idea at the beginning of his talk on at the Tuesday press conference. He was it really felt defensive or overly explanatory. Like, mm -hmm. we really don't want to be doing this. Uh, I, you know, I didn't get into this to tell people what to do, blah, blah, blah. Do you think Jason Kenny knew that this this letter from these uh, 15 at the time MLAs was going to come out the next day? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he knew that the, I don't know if he knew that this specific letter would come out. I mean, I think they, you know, he probably had a good idea that his caucus was not happy about mm -hmm. it. And you can tell for months, I mean, this is something that's been percolating in the UCP caucus. I've been hearing from, uh, you know, UCP activists and MLAs and 
staffers for months about how unhappy the UCP caucus is. And this is not just about, I mean, the letter is just about COVID, but they're unhappy for all sorts of reasons in terms mm -hmm. of this government has just created chaos and uh, over the past 13 months, over the past two, almost two years. Uh, and it hasn't, nothing is paid off, nothing is paid off for them yet. And then they're stuck in this pandemic and they are down in the polls and can, can, their constituents are mad at them. Um, and, you know, people don't, you know, you know, a lot of these MLAs are first term MLAs and, you know, they remember what it was like to be really popular when they were first elected. And it sucks when people don't, when people are unhappy with you and you're a politician. Um, you know, people, you know, these people are in it because they want to do, you know, what they believe is good and they want their constituents to be happy for them. And for most of these MLAs, who's the 15 MLAs who signed the letter, most of them won by huge margins in these rural ridings and they're used to their constituents being happy with them. But, um, yeah, that's so. So this has been building for some time, and there's been a real state of unhappiness with with the direction of the government and the leadership of Premier Kenny. I mean, it was only a few only a few weeks ago, a few months ago, that we that constituency associations in the UCP were agitating to have a leadership review, mm -hmm. and so the and the way that was, this was kind of headed off by by Kenny and and the UCP executive was these some of these associations and some of these disgruntled UCPers were trying to have a um, and a uh, leadership review set for the 2021 convention or 2021 annual meeting, which is coming up in the fall from what I understand. And the executive of the UCP kind of preempted this by, uh, say by announcing that, a, that a leadership review will be held in 2022, which is about six months ahead of the convention, about six months ahead of the next election in 2023. So they're kind of playing chicken with, with these disgruntled, um, constituency associations, which I mean, might pay off, but also might not pay off. Like, I mean, I'm not sure things are going to be much better in a year from now for Premier Kenny. Like, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I mean, he he, the premier has stated that he is hopeful that we'll be able to really open things up by June of this year. He he said several times that there by by golly, there's going to be a Calgary stampede this year. And uh, yeah, I don't yeah, know I don't know that. either, Dave. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I. It, there, there, if there is a Calgary stampede, it won't be the, it won't be, and I, I, I mean, I, I'm skeptical whether there will be, it won't be the size of the usual stampede because this is, these are kind of, these are events that need months of advance work. I mean, yeah. this, this, this Calgary stampede is a huge event. It probably won't be the greatest outdoor show on earth this no, year. No, yeah. I'd say like maybe 2022 or 2023, they'll be back in the, back in the, back on the saddle. Hey, that's like the only time you get to use that <laughs> phrase where it's actually a hundred percent spot on. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about these these fifteen MLAs is uh, many of them, or a lot of them, seem to come from the Wild Rose Wing of the United Conservative Party, and mm -hmm. this is interesting because, and this is notable because, I mean, anybody who's paid attention to Alberta politics before twenty seventeen, before the 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 UCP was created with the kind of the merger of the UCP or the Progressive Conservative and the Wild Rose parties in caucus, they, you would know that the Wild Rose party was notoriously, uh, notoriously raucous and notoriously um, resistant to any sort of kind of any sort of uh, imposition of centralized leadership. And I mean, we saw this with Danielle Smith basically being rebuked again and again by her party membership um, uh, during the conventions. And then eventually they, her and, and most of the caucus crossed the floor um, but this is a, this is not a, not a wing of a political party that has the same kind of culture of party discipline that, um, Premier Kenny would have been used to in a conservative, in the federal conservative party in Ottawa during Stephen Harper's time as prime minister. I mean, Stephen Harper, who, you know, who is very, who was known for running a very disciplined operation in Ottawa. This is not the same caucus. This is not the same group. It's also a big caucus, which always makes, you know, which is always more, always more difficult for governments to manage and spend. And, and once MLAs start to get unhappy and we've seen this building and building, um, I mean, they're not necessarily afraid of, of retribution from the premier anymore. And when you have 15 or 18 MLAs starting to come and speak out and then there's no consequences, well, you know, then, then I think that shows, I think that shows a lot of weakness on Kenny's part in terms of his position in the party. I mean, he's, he's the leader, he's the premier, but um, I mean, he's not able to command the same discipline as as other party leaders would be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you, do you think that Jason Kenney, if you asked him and he was being totally honest outside of the spotlight, if he thinks this is going as well as he expected when he signed up to be the leader of the United Conservative Party, what do you think he would say, Dave? No, absolutely not. 
I mean, first of all, no one, no one predicted a global pandemic in the middle of their term, right? So they're, 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 I mean, even though they're pushing on with the political, their own, their political agenda, which is part of the reason why I think his, he's, he has such low approval ratings is because people are wondering what the heck are you trying to do? Why aren't you focusing on our public health and you're doing all this other unpopular stuff? So he's basically, they basically galvanized the opposition against them. So, you know, whether it be, I mean, and there's kind of three key examples I would, I would look at would be. I mean, Alberta Parks, uh, the, 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 their move to privatize Alberta Parks, which they've backed off on, that galvanized huge opposition across the province. Their move to introduce open pit coal mining in the Rockies, which like was like just just followed the the, the Parks uh, stuff, was basically like massive opposition across the board. Um, and then the, which we're going to talk about a little later in the, in the, in the pod, uh, the curriculum re release, which is like galvanized parents and school boards against them. So I mean, they've they've gone and created. They, I mean, they got they've gone and created enemies out of a lot of people and a lot of constituencies who would otherwise be the natural allies of a conservative party in Alberta, governing conservative party in Alberta, or like sympathetic to them. And mm -hmm. because of the chaos that they've created, and because they basically uh, framed anyone for two years, framed anyone who opposes them as radicals or uh, you know extremists. Um, you know they don't they didn't they didn't have the they they didn't have the the political capital to unite alberta uh during the pandemic so they've just simply continued on their political agenda and having all these big political fights in the middle of a pandemic yeah. so i know I, I mean obviously it's not going the way he wanted it to be and i mean we heard from the caucus meet you know rumors from the caucus meeting ucp caucus meeting this week that premier kenny was and i don't know what the context of this comment was um but you know, he threat apparently threatened to call an election if the uh, if the UCP caucus didn't support him. Now, that's not like the strategy of a leader who like has that's not the sign. That's not like a, a the sign of a leader who has things under control because you wouldn't you wouldn't call that a power move, would you? No, that is not a power move because the UCP is like twenty points down in the polls, according to according to some some of the recent polls, uh, and the UCP MLAs that are that you know if the UCP called an election today. The MLAs, the UCP MLAs that might lose the election are not those who signed, for the most part, who signed the letter. I mean, the one example, one ex exception would be uh, Miranda Rosen and Banff Kananaskis, which I would consider more of a more of a marginal riding and, and a riding that the NDP should probably have within its reach by the next election. But most of those MLAs are in like, I mean, Drumheller, Stetler, uh, you know, these are you know, Cypress medicine hat. These are very strong conservative ridings. If the conservatives are losing, if the UCP are losing those ridings, then they're like, they're going to win like five seats, which is like, not, that's not the position we're in right now. I want to talk about one of those ridings before we move on. And that is the riding of Olds, Didsbury, Three Hills, the mm -hmm. riding of uh, MLA Nathan Cooper, who's also the 14th speaker of the Alberta Legislative Assembly. He was one of the signatories of that letter that came out on Wednesday. And there's been, discussion among political nerds as to whether or not it's appropriate for a speaker to do that. Why is that question even being raised, Dave? Tell us a little bit about the position of the speaker in the legislature. Well, the speaker is like the, I mean, the speaker is the, is the chair of the legislative assembly. So the speaker is um, to very, I think in, in almost every, there might've been one or two exceptions in Alberta politics, but it almost in almost, almost entirely uh, or Almost across the board, the speaker is usually a, an MLA who's elected as as a part, member of the party of the government. So Nathan Cooper was elected uh, as a United Conservative Party MLA for Old Didsbury Three Hills in 2019. Um, but typically, the speaker, as a rule, uh, is neutral on political issues. So as the as kind of the 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 chair of as the chair of the assembly as the kind of the referee during the activities in the legislature as the spokesperson for the legislative assembly um you know the symbol of 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 uh, you know that the spokesperson and, and and very much a symbol and a very important symbol of the legislature um that role the office of the speaker they typically speakers typically don't participate in in controversial political debates or take position in controversial political debates so what has happened here is Nathan Cooper was one of the MLAs who signed the letter, one of the 15 UCP MLAs who signed the letter um, advocating against public health restrictions. Um, 
that is absolutely taking a political position on a controversial subject. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure he's hearing stuff from his constituents because, you know, he's, he's a speaker, but he has a, still has a constituency office. He still does constituency work, um, the work that regular MLAs do. But but speakers typically don't participate in, in that way. Um, so it was unusual. There has been... Um, I mean, some some talk about. I mean, there's there's question about whether you know whether he did cross the line, whether you know because there's question about whether he because he criticized the government that he was elected under the banner of whether that constitutes that. But I mean, he's also um, um, I saw Brian Mason, the former NDP MLA, tweet out the other day was saying that you know not only is Cooper taking a position against the government, but he's also taking a position against the opposition at the same mm -hmm. time. So, um, I mean, well, I he, think. I, Sorry. In, in this case, he, he's he's supposed to be the representative of all the members, not just yeah, right, the MCP. Yeah. So, and he's not doing either of those things now, is what Mason was saying. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, kind of. Um, but he was involving himself in a controversial political subject. Um, I know former Speaker David Carter in a, in a column that uh, Graham Thompson wrote, I think for CBC. Um, uh, David Carter said that uh, that Cooper had absolutely stepped over the line and that it was inappropriate. Um, yeah, I think it was. I think it was inappropriate for for the speaker to step to to participate in this or to get involved in this. I mean, yeah, he can advocate for his constituents absolutely, and I mean, MLAs talk to government all the time. And I mean, part of the frustrating part of the frustration that the MLAs who wrote this letter felt was that they weren't being heard by the government, and that they've said that essentially in their letter. Um, but I think I think it is um, I think it absolutely is inappropriate for the speaker to uh, to to uh, have signed this letter and to, to have injected himself in this. I mean, it's and we saw it in the legislature this week where Premier Kenny actually there was a weird interaction between Premier Kenny and Nathan Cooper uh, in the le in the legislature where I mean the Ken Kenny kind of rebuked Cooper over this in a way, um, but because uh, the way the legislature works is. MLAs when they're in question period or when they're when they're when they're in debate, they don't address each other. They address each other through the chair, right? Right. So they say, "Mr. Speaker, the honorable member for blah 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 is out of line," or "I have a question." Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the premier answer this question? And you know, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The leader of the official opposition is out to lunch, like that kind of stuff. Um, it always goes through the chair. So for the speaker to put himself in in this position, I think it I think it does undermine the the. Um, undermine the position, undermine the, the, the position and the legitimacy. I know I don't think this will have like a huge impact on the institution immediately. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I think it's something that shouldn't become a regular habit. Shouldn't some, shouldn't become something that, that, uh, that, uh, that speakers do on a regular basis. Now I saw the opposition, I saw the NDP post um, social media memes and they're, you know, the NDP are pretty aggressive. They're going after trying to create division, which is, you know, essentially kind of what they should be doing. They're kind of bad doing a balancing act of, you know, agitating, but also not let not getting in the way of their opponents falling. And I think they're actually probably doing a pretty good job of that because they're not like too in their face. But I saw a, a meme that the NDP posted was basically saying that, you know, Speaker Cooper involved himself and there's no repercussions or Premier Kenny hasn't done anything to, to punish him. Now, if the NDP, I mean, really wants to do something, they could introduce a motion of non-confidence in the speaker if they wanted to yeah and i'd be interesting to see whether they actually do that because that's that would be the next step if the ndp actually thinks it's inappropriate is to take that some kind of parliament step in parliamentary procedure to uh to remove the speaker i i would expect like uh, with my limited understanding of things that that kind of move would be so inside baseball oh yeah for, oh, absolutely such a waste totally. of time Based on well, like, I mean, we're going to talk about a few other things today that the NDP really do need to be focusing on. And I think have done a pretty okay job of focusing on over the last few weeks slash 13 uh, months. But um, I, I think them trying to oust Cooper would just be a distraction. Oh, it's just like, yeah, it is, it is inside baseball. And like, I, I mean, what does it accomplish? Is it, you know, does it, it, it might immediately get voted down. Yeah. And exactly. then, and then, then they've wasted a day talking about insider baseball that no one outside the legislature except for political nerds and process nerds really care for care about so i mean they yeah. need to stay, they need to stay on message which i have to say like over the past i mean 13 months i think the ndp have really done quite well in terms of of really going after the uh, the ucp on a lot of issues and and uh, i mean not on not only just on pushing them on covid19 and pushing them on the pandemic response but on this whole other swath of issues from coal to parks to the curriculum yeah. and and like a dozen other issues
So and I mean, I think that's reflected in the polls is that I think Albertans are not happy with the current government right now. And they see an opposition that's actually agitating and getting out there and talking about it. And, uh, and that's, I think that's paying off right, at least right now. I mean, we're still two years away from the next election. So who knows what's going to happen, but, but at least it's paying off now. One of the indications will be the release of the uh, last quarter's fundraising numbers. I mm-hmm. mean, I get, I get the NDP's emails and they're, they're, Going for it. So we'll mm-hmm. see in yeah, how long after the end of a quarter do those get released, Dave? It should be around, I think it should be around the around or just after the 15th of April. We'll get okay. the um the the um first quarter fundraising numbers for 2021 will be released from Elections Alberta. Now we we know the last the last quarter of 2020, the NDP outraised the, the UCP. Um, and so the, the NDP have been doing quite well in terms of fundraising for the past few quarters. Um, and I think that that's, I I think that would be quite damaging. It will not help Premier Jason Kenney if the NDP once again out fundraise the UCP in the first quarter of 2021. The Dave Berta podcast is brought to you by the well-endowed podcast from Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden And the show explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the story of how those endowments intersect with the community. In their most recent episode, Exploring Wakotawin, Lisa and Andrew sit down with their friends from the Edmonton Shift Lab to hear about one of their latest projects aimed at shifting perspectives to eliminate racism. It's a board game, a new board game called Exploring Wakotawin. You can check out the Well Endowed Podcast at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe, give them a little love. Brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation. The Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by Rumi. With warmer weather comes yard work and lots of it. I know I'm going through that right now and gosh, I wish I could just pay someone to do it. Prune your trees and shrubs, clean your eaves troughs, replace those drafty windows you notice over the winter, or you can call Rumi to take care of all your outdoor and indoor spring home maintenance while you fire up the barbecue and relax. Visit Rumi.ca, that's R-U-M-I dot C-A, or call 1-844-777-7864 and let Rumi's trusted local experts take care of your yard so all you have to do is enjoy it. That's R-U-M-I dot C-A or call 1-844-777-7864. I want to move on to the discussion about the curriculum that was released a few weeks ago it was the draft K to nine curriculum, uh, where the focus seemed to be, at least as I understand it, uh, was social studies was a big one that got talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. A little bit of science, a little bit of math. Um, the latest news is that I think it was like the Northern Lights School District said they would not pilot the curriculum this mm-hmm. fall. The Calgary Board of Education said the same thing. So did Edmonton Public Schools, Edmonton Catholic Schools, and the Lethbridge School District, among others. So, Dave, what's going on with this curriculum? And are you, like, as a as a father whose son, Dave told me at the beginning of this recording that his son will be uh, hitting a milestone birthday soon at the age of five. What do you are you excited for your son to be uh, being taught under this curriculum? <laughs> What the hell is going on, Adam? <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's, uh, it's, um, I mean, the, the, the draft curriculum has become part of a, uh, you know, uh, the front line of a, uh, of a culture war or something. It's quite bizarre. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, I'm not, I'm not surprised that, uh, I'm not surprised. I mean, obviously, I'm not surprised that there's been such huge outroar, outroar against it, such huge uh, public opposition. I mean, I think the there was the Facebook page that was set up by a group of parents, um, or Facebook group that was set up by a group of parents right after it was, was released, and I think it has something like thirty four thousand people involved in it now, or, or or have joined the group now. So this is, you know, this is very much a uh, an organic opposition to this uh, to this curriculum. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, 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 
interesting that so many school boards have stepped up and uh, and so many major school boards have step, stepped up and said that they won't help pilot this curriculum because of what they saw in it. Mm-hmm. Um, as a parent of a kid who's about to go into kindergarten, um, it does not give me great faith in uh, in the, you know, the future of the education system in this province. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, the 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 saving grace is that uh, I know that we have, you know, tens of thousands of incredibly dedicated and hardworking and well-meaning teachers who will do their best to help navigate this and do their best to help kids you know, come up, come out on top, but it's uh, some of the stuff in this curriculum, in this, this draft curriculum is, I feel like some of it was like meant to, um, I mean, anybody familiar with provoke meant to own the libs for anyone who's familiar with, uh, you know, internet parlance in the, uh, in the United States, social media parlance in the United States. Um, Some of this stuff seemed to be directed at, at, uh, at agitating and, and getting a reaction, which is extremely concerning um, when you're talking about a curriculum. Um, and I do wonder about some of the stuff. I mean, the, the, I mean, there's no shortage of curriculum experts and educators who have spoke out against this, whether it's the social studies curriculum, whether it's the music curriculum. Um, but I mean, I do wonder the, the, I mean, the narrative generally is, is that this is, this looks, this is a backwards looking curriculum. It's not modern. Um, it's overly political and Eurocentric and not, I mean, it's not a modern curriculum. And I do wonder when, I mean, it seems like there, and we talked a little bit about this in a different context with, with Andrew Leach last week about these kind of like, you know, there's two separate brains or two separate mouths in the, in the Alberta government. And one is in this case, one is, uh, you know, Doug Schweitzer, the minister of He's a minister of economic development, whose um, whose big thing is trying to um, trying to recruit tech companies to come to Calgary and relocate to Edmonton, and trying to create you know trying trying to help attract the knowledge economy to the province. Uh, and I think like and trying to diversify. And I think like people will agree that like that's probably a smart direction to head into in some cases. Um, but then again, then you have this like curriculum design thing, which seems to like design the opposite and i mean we saw um late last year when or saw at some point last year when the when the first round of draft curriculums were released um, because this is like the second round of draft curriculums that have been released remember um it would have been at some point in 2020 when um one of the one of the chairs they wanted one of the think one of the chair the chair of the curriculum committee angus mcbeath um got up and to the podium and said that they wanted to this correct this curriculum to educate the next generation of honest car used car salesmen <laughs> <laughs> which is like not exactly a, a confidence booster in the it's process. a high bar it's a real it's high, a high bar. bar so um when 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 the ucp formed government they said they were going there they wanted to take politics out of the curriculum and and the ucp created this i mean that they created the idea that 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 the previous curriculum redesign, which was being run by the NDP, which had, they had taken over from the progressive conservatives when they formed government in 2015. So this is like a longer process, see back two governments, um, that they created this, the idea and the talking points that it was a overly political process that, you know, our, the NDP wanted our children to be Marxist bohemians and stuff. And, and, and really the process wasn't overly political. And it seems like they took that process and they created a process that was, designed to be a political document which is mm-hmm. I, I don't think is is hell is going to be is it's not good for it's not good for alberta and it's concerning as a parent like you know yeah. you know what what are, what am i uh you know what are my kids going to be learning in school why are they going to be why are they going to be exposed to some of this stuff you know good questions i mean genghis that. khan in grade two i mean the, I, i'm, I'm kind of mixed with this the some of the commentary online i have kind of mixed views because I mean, I think some of this, some of this, the, the stuff included in the curriculum seems, especially in the social studies curriculum, seems, seems absolutely out to lunch. Um, but at the same time, I hear commentary saying, well, you know, kids in grade two aren't that smart, so they shouldn't be learning stuff. Kids are actually pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. But this might not be the appropriate, this is probably not the appropriate stuff for them to learn at that level, right? So, so you know, give kids more credit than, 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 uh, than you're giving them. But, but at the same time, like, you know, some of this stuff is just... Uh, I mean, it's not really age appropriate. 
it it does seem strange and i've seen a few interviews uh with um pedagogical experts curriculum experts who are who are saying in fact the content is unusual and the objectives don't seem to align with what we know about best practices for teaching mm -hmm. children what the research says so so a bunch of these school boards say they won't pilot the curriculum ariana lagrange is saying well too bad for them they won't be able to provide us with quote rich feedback <clears throat> what do you think what, what happens here like do you see the kenny government going back to the drawing board with these things or is it going to be full speed ahead for the curriculum i think that i mean this is the draft document i think what, what's probably going to happen is they'll probably remove some of the more the most embarrassing things that really tick people off and just push forward with the rest of the document um so i don't think that i can't see this i can't see them going back to the drawing board and having wholesale change um but i mean i can see some tinkering around but what i worry about is that now because this this process has been politicized what i worry about is that we're going to get into the situation where you know the ucp is going to by 2023 is going to be implementing this backward conservative political curriculum and then the ndp are going to win in 2023 i'm not worried about the ndp winning in 2023 political change is great um but what i'm worried about is that then the ndp are going to throw out the curriculum and then try to design their own and then you know after you know two more terms of premier rachel notley you know the the qcp will form government or another party will form government and then they'll you know we'll be in this situation so what i really want is i want to break this cycle of making the curriculum this like partisan political process mm -hmm. i think that's quite dangerous um and i don't think it's i mean it's not good for alberta it's not good for all alberta's kids our kids deserve better um i mean we you know we desperately need to to be looking forward in this in this province and one of the things that concerned me is when the NDP were in government, I mean, one of the things that the UCP talked about a lot was about how the previous previous draft curriculum was um, uh, geared towards making, I think it was making children agents of change. And I mean, honest, honestly, that sounds great. The world, the world we live in is pretty screwed up. Uh, children should be agents of change, and I don't think we should be. Uh, you know, we should be tell telling them otherwise. Yeah, I mean that, that's what you know. That's critical thinking is is uh, is a, is is key. But you know, I think that I think that some folks in the UCP see the phrase like agents of change, and they think of things like the Great Reset and but Marxist Bohemians. Yeah, so I mean, anyway, that that that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. and probably not one that a couple of partisans should be talking about uh, with any kind of credibility. Um, I, I want to move on unless there's anything else you want to talk about on curriculum. I want to talk about some of the latest, let's call them labor losses that the the Alberta government has faced. A couple of the smaller ones, and again, smaller is in air quotes there, but there's a headline about an arbitrator rejecting wage rollbacks for 2,300 post-secondary education workers in Alberta. That was two weeks ago. And then just a week ago, an arbitrator rejected wage rollbacks for AGLC and Alberta Pension Services corporation workers. And on top of that, we also know that Alberta doctors, um, the Alberta medic, yeah, Alberta doctors, sorry, uh, rejected a deal put forward by the province by, I want to say kind of a narrow margin, 53% mm -hmm. to 47 with a turnout of 59%. But I mean, we knew the doctor deal was a big one. What does this all mean, Dave? Like, what does it mean for the policy, uh, of the United Conservative Party here? Well, I mean, the government um, uh, really kind of led by, in this case, led by Finance Minister Travis Taves, President of the Treasury Board, has been implementing, has been trying to, the, the government is currently negotiating with a number of public sector, large public sector unions for government employees, for the next contract for government employees, for employees of of agencies like Alberta Health Services and 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 so on, and uh, as you said, AGLC, uh, Gaming, Liquor and Cannabis Commission. Um, so the government has been pretty clear that they want, in terms of what they want, and they want roll, they want I think it's rollbacks or zeros in terms of wages across the board. Um, now you know we live in a uh, a country where there is a you know a rule of law and there's a process labor a labor relations process process and a negotiations uh, you know uh, process where if negotiations come to a standstill there's a there's an arbitration process, and what we had here was. 
um, you know, negotiate, obviously the, you know, the unions and the government couldn't come, or the unions and the government's negotiators obviously couldn't come to an agreement at the negotiating table. So they went to an arbitrator. And in this case, the arbitrator decided um, that, uh, you know, looking at both, looking at the proposals and where both parties were looking at kind of the standards across the in industry, maybe comparing other provinces and whatnot, that it would be fair to, uh, you know, to give these employees uh, whatever percentage pay raise in, in, in each case. So, you know, this is very much a, a, pro, a legal process thing. It's a, it's part of the labor system of labor relations uh, that we created as kind of, uh, I mean, arbitration is kind of the relief valve, you know, to avoid, um, in some cases, avoid job action. It's like, well, if you have, if you come to a total impasse at the, at the negotiating table, you have the ability to, to go to a, you know, go to binding arbitration. And then that's the, you both agree that whatever the neutral arbitrator, uh, proposes will be whatever the, you know, what, what happens. So this is kind of, this is, I mean, it's a, it's a rebuke of, of, of uh, definitely a rebuke of the government. I mean, it's probably not as much as the union wanted, um, or the, they were initially proposing. Um, but I mean, that's how negotiations work. Like, you know, you take a position, the other person, person takes the position and then you kind of meet somewhere somewhere in between in most cases. So, mm -hmm. I mean, this is, but this is definitely, um, definitely a rebuke to the government that has been really focused on and very aggressive on going after public sector unions. Um, the, the doctor's situation is very interesting because yeah. as any, anybody who's paying attention to Alberta politics know, uh, and, uh, Tyler Shandro's neighbor will know, um, uh, the government has basically been going to war against doctors for the past two years. And, uh, and, there was a there seemed to be a, de, a bit of a detente um at some a few months ago when the there was a change of leadership at the Alberta Medical Association um Dr. Christine Molnar I think they're they're very term I think they have like one term limit for presidents at the AMA mm -hmm. one or two terms so she stepped down uh there was a new president who was elected and they it seemed almost immediately that the AMA took a very different approach um, and tried to work out a deal with the, with the government. They worked out a tentative agreement, uh, and then it went to a vote. And as you said before, um, it failed very narrowly. I mean, this wasn't a, it wasn't a huge vote, but it was definitely, a re definitely a rebuke. And it was, um, it followed a real attempted shift in tone by health minister, Tyler Shandro, who essentially at first denied that the Alberta government was in conflict with doctors and then apologized for denying it because so many doctors were, were insulted by, uh, <laughs> by him trying to re trying to rewrite history. Um, I mean, it was a close, it was, it certainly was a close vote. And I mean, I think it just shows that there's still a lot of animosity between a huge number of doctors in this province and the government. Um, but it also shows that doctors are divided. And I mean, I'm sure there's some doctors who just want to just want to get this settled. But I think one of the big one of the big problems and probably one of the big things standing in the way of the government reaching a settlement with doctors is Tyler Shandro himself. He is the wrong messenger. Um, yeah. There's no good, there's no good faith, absolutely no good faith. And the doctors have no reason to believe there's any good faith um, between uh, health minister Shandro and, and, uh, and, uh, and healthcare professionals like doctors. So, I mean, I think that, you know, maybe they'll reach another tentative agreement and go back to go back and, 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 um, go back to their members for another vote. Um, but I think of, I, I, I can't see there being real peace between the government and doctors in this province until um, someone other than Tyler Shandro is, uh, is health minister. Yeah. I'd spoken to a couple of uh, friends who are doctors and, you know, they, they suggested the reason that uh, the vote was so close is because there are some who just kind of want this to be over. They're tired mm -hmm. of the fight and, but I think you're right. I think, uh, and there, and there was questions about whether or not we'll see a cabinet shuffle. Like, do you think, uh, <laughs> do you think that's something that's on, uh, Jason Kenny's radar? Or, I mean, he expressed confidence in Tyler Shandro. I think he said a hundred percent confidence. Yeah. Which, so like, I, I have nearly a hundred percent confidence in you, Dave, but there is definitely like <laughs> a margin there. I mean, just because we're flawed, but so, so you don't think there's there's going to be movement in the cabinet anytime soon on this? You know, I, I, I think that they're, I think that not only in health, but kind of across the board, I think they're due for a big cabinet shuffle. I think that, hmm. I mean, two, two of their, two of their main ministers or big ministers are big ministers of big departments, pardon me, um, Tyler Shandro in, in health and Adrian um, uh, Lagrange in education. I think that there's really a need to shuffle to, for if the, if the government wants to make any 
kind of concili conciliatory approach or any kind of movement that's that's not just fighting um that they'll uh they'll have to shuffle at least at least those two and and not necessarily i mean i i don't necessarily think that that premier kenny would demote them either because i don't think he's unhappy with them i think he's you know they're doing they're implementing the ucp's political agenda so i don't think that shandro would get demoted um i think he'd just get moved to another position that's i mean there's once you're minister of health there there's only like a small handful of positions that that you can be appointed to that would not be a demotion because health is such a big ministry yeah. um but i think that uh, i think that he would move them to to another position but i think it, i mean absolutely before the next election i think within the next year we'll see a cabinet shuffle yeah yeah and and he can sort of hide the reason uh for for Tyler Shandro being moved out of health at that time. Oh, he'll probably than, get moved to justice or something like that. And then right. uh, yeah. rather than make it about uh well, we could talk about justice another day because Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um there's so much to talk about. Geez, two weeks. I, well, Adam, I think that's that's it for this episode. Thanks to everyone for listening and thanks again. Well, again, thanks again to Adam uh for uh for making this podcast sound so great. I'm reading a script now. Happy to uh, do it. Happy to do it. <laughs> The the Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Um, send us your feedback on social media. You can find us on all social media, Twitter, Instagram at, at Dayberta on the face on, on the Facebook, uh, or you can send us an email at podcast at dayberta.ca. And if you can leave a review, we love uh, we love reading your reviews. And uh, yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Rain hasn't come for weeks on end The bank foreclosed on what they lent Now my farm can't pay the rent God damn my prairie soil I worked the land for 40 years I've had my troubles and I have my fears and Now my day is growing near God damn my prairie soil Never came